Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, scams. Every year, Kiwis are losing tens of millions of dollars to romance scams. One of the latest swindles, people are paying thousands of crypto dollars for a pet that doesn't exist. A Rangiora man has lost $320,000 in a Bitcoin scam. This one came to fear, goes straight from the police. It is a scam that has already cost one person a million dollars. And some of them are targeting our vulnerable communities. Thousands of Pasifika in Auckland who have fallen prey to illegal pyramid schemes have been left without cash for food or rent just as the country's plunged into lockdown. As one thong and mother of two had to learn the hard way, the perpetrators of a scam can also be people we know and trust. When your own community is telling you this is the bee's knees, it becomes almost like brainwashing. With these new age scams, is there enough power in our law to stop them? From the outside looking in, it's a pretty pretty confusing and frustrating situation. Nicholas Poynton and Maria Slade are journalists with the National Business Review. They've been investigating scams and the regulatory gaps. Here's Nicholas. I was looking into, I'll call it a get-rich-quick scheme called Validus. Let's make Validus your new home of opportunities. The future is here sort of popping on my radar a little bit last year. Um, and they were holding a lot of in-person events, mainly around South Auckland. It seemed to be targeting, let's just say, brown communities. And then after a while, I learned it was really prevalent actually in the Tongan community. And Validus, the core product in this multi-level marketing scheme, that's how they position it, is that they sell financial training courses. So these courses will teach you how to trade like crypto or Forex and things like that. The, the interesting thing for me, well, things got a bit bizarre, was that the only way you could ever pay for these courses was in cryptocurrencies. You speak to anyone who works around scams or cybersecurity, they always tell you that's always a bit of a red flag. But also it's just the cost of these courses. They range from the entry-level course being uh, 50 US dollars all the way up to 10,000 US dollars. The thing is, from the presentations I watched online or the ones I attended in person, these training courses got the briefest of mention. You know, they didn't really say what they involved, what the difference was between the entry-level one and the most expensive one, or who even was responsible for putting them together. And the multi-level marketing aspect of it that comes into it was there's a very complex recruitment side where you could earn various rewards or bonuses from bringing more people into the scheme. And sort of where Validus differed from other sort of MLMs I've covered in the past, like this was truly unusual from my perspective, was that they said for 100% of the money you spend on a package, they will take and they will invest that into what I call a smorgasbord of, of crypto, NFTs, company stocks, foreign exchange, and they'll pay you a 2 to 3% return every week for 60 weeks, resulting in a compounded return of 350%. Like, the way that they position it, it was truly astronomical figures that they were talking about, the claims that they were making, but people were getting sucked in by it from my experience. Tell me about some of the events you went to, what did you say? I went to one event which was like a weekly meetup. You could say I went undercover. That was just to get a sense of what it looked like on the ground. And at that local event in Otahu, they promoted this massive event that was going to be taking place at Mount Smart Stadium. I went there on a Saturday, mainly to see just how many people were actually going to be there, but also they had some of the real bigwigs behind Validus. You know, a guy called Pa was Darwald. I'm pleased to announce our latest addition. 
This gentleman from London boasts 20 years of business acumen. A qualified medical doctor who left the world of medicine behind to start his own businesses, it is these qualities that makes me proud to appoint Dr. Parwiz Dowd as the Chief Network Officer of Validus. This guy has a bit of a checkered past. He was involved in the infamous OneCoin scam. You know, some people may be aware of, of that. The biggest Ponzi scheme ever. OneCoin scam is accused of defrauding users of between 4 and $15 billion. The, the main perpetrator of that scam, Dr. Ruja Ignatova, has disappeared from the face of the earth. This is the sort of baggage that these people were coming. I thought, I've got to be in the same room as this. But when I turned up, I had no idea what to expect. They had set up sort of about 300 seats in there, and I took a seat right in the middle. And I was just surprised by how pretty much every single seat there got filled. They had a live DJ playing fun, funky music. Everyone, there were people up the front sort of dancing. I looked to my right, and there's like a group of like high school students wearing like traditional Maori dress, and they start performing a haka as this guy powers Dar world and like what I like to call his disciples start walking into the room, and they're greeted with a haka and a wire tip. It was one of the most bizarre things I'd ever witnessed. From there, they go through and they bring up different people to walk people through the Validus scheme. But then so much of it, though, was people just hyping the crowd up. Very cleverly preying on people's financial insecurities. You know, they're very clever about sort of talking about how, you know, so many of us are not happy where we are in our lives. We want to be doing better. To you or I, we may be able to see through this and think to ourselves, this isn't above board but like I said like this targets the Tongan community I think I counted four white people in the crowd there and when you have someone on stage who looks like you who sounds like you who talks about the problems that you're probably facing and they're presenting an option to try and turn around your life and improve it that's an incredibly powerful thing like they are selling people hope or they're preying on people's hopes. Maria Slade has been looking into another scam called MFC Club it was a scam that targeted the Chinese New Zealand community, came originally out of Malaysia. There's all sorts of very complicated elements to this thing. It was basically a good old-fashioned pyramid scheme, allegedly. In a pyramid scheme, a promoter gets people to put money into a fund and then urges them to recruit two more people who do the same. There's a promise of a big payday if lots of people join, except it always collapses. There was a crypto component, like this world crypto gold product so that they could apparently earn points to buy, for example. A lot of the characteristics that Nicholas has described about Validus are also true for MFC. It was a different thing in terms of they were targeting a different community, so the Chinese New Zealand community. And it was very much a case of the mum that I ran into down at the Taiping supermarket. She kept encouraging me to come to one of these meetings, you know, learn how to invest, learn how to double your money kind of thing. And when, as Nicholas says, when your own community is telling you this is the bee's knees, it becomes almost like brainwashing. And it was the same sort of thing. You've got to come to meetings. You know, you, you won't succeed unless you put in the work work and come and learn how this works. And it was the most incomprehensible system. There was actually a case in Australia where um, an MFC promoter was ordered to pay damages to a victim. And the, the High Court Justice in that case said this scheme is totally incomprehensible. 
it was a system of you earned points. You bought orbs for a certain amount of money, and then that translated into points. And then eventually, at some stage, your points would be split and doubled. And then you could buy world crypto gold, and you could trade it all online. And you had special Visa cards and in inverted commas to do your trading. And in the end, it just became clear that nobody could get any money out of it. So where had the money gone? And there are something like ninety investors who are currently trying to take a class action against um, the alleged local promoter. But they say there were probably more like about a thousand people that were involved here in New Zealand. And they worked it out that probably over that thousand people, about a 90 million would have been lost. So that's not an uh, substantial amount of money that is disappearing from the New Zealand economy because these are local New Zealanders. So whose job is it to hold scammers to account? There are regulators like the Financial Markets Authority and the Commerce Commission, but Maria and Nicholas have found gaps in the system. Well, it's not like they don't track them. The FMA in particular has a log of various scams and the numbers keep ticking up every year that it, that it keeps the records of those. But again, it's only the ones that come to their attention and their job is the is financial products. So there's this very strict division of labour between the, the FMA and the Commerce Commission. So FMA, financial products. Our aim at the FMA is to give you the information and tools you need to wise up and invest well. Commerce Commission, anything consumery. The Commerce Commission is New Zealand's consumer watchdog, enforcing the law to ensure businesses trade fairly and lend responsibly. Pyramid schemes fall under the Fair Trading Act, so that's deemed the Commerce Commission's domain. And so while the FMA did put out warnings about Validus and MFC Club, unless you're reading the FMA site and it's pursuant to section blah blah of the financial markets Act, you know, it's not really very accessible language. Um, you, you're not going to see that. And also, is it a pyramid scheme? Is it a financial product? Where is it based? Is it based in Malaysia? Is it based in New Zealand? Who's got the jurisdiction? So these things fall through the cracks. One of the greatest points to make is that we're not going to prosecute our way out of this anyway. There is a huge education piece here. And in Australia, they're just setting up an, a new agency, actually. It's a, a new initiative of their Prime Minister Albanese to set up a, a national anti-scams centre. All the more important that we lift our protection against cyber threats and lift our protection against scams and fraudsters. It's why we made our announcement earlier in this week about following through on our election commitment to set up an anti-scam centre. And this will be a coordinated effort by a whole range of regulators and, and private organisations as well to develop a, a national communication strategy um, to, to educate against scams and, and provide consistent messaging around it. And the Australian banks actually have also set up a thing, it's a non-profit called the Australian Financial Crime Exchange, the AFCX. Um, which we do not have here. We, we have neither of those initiatives here. And this was one thing I put to the new minister, um, Ginny Anderson. She's the new Digital Economy and Communications Minister, took over in January. Uh, she's not interested in change. As far as she's concerned, um, CERTNZ, which was the cybercrime body they set up in 2017 and has a bit of a, a clearinghouse kind of function, they're doing their job um, and that's, that's it, nothing to see here. But there's very many people who deal with these scams on a daily basis who say there is a desperate need for some sort of coordinated effort to educate people because, you know, prevention is your best cure. 
Anything you want to add on the validus and the response there from the authorities? That was an interesting process because when I wrote about this big event that I went to in November last year, it was like my first big story about validus, the FMA already knew about validus. They put out a warning in like September 15th and I counted between that scam warning and the event I went to, there's probably about 20 in-person meetings that had taken place. Who knows how many people got sucked into this over that period. So that was kind of a focus of my initial reporting on this was and speaking to people who are involved in this space was just sort of what they perceived to be the inaction of regulators. But fortunately, we kept on writing stories about Valis, about events that were still still going on. And then out of the blue last month, we just got an email late one afternoon that the FMA had handed uh, Validus an interim stop order, which was truly significant. That effectively meant for 30 days that this company... Couldn't essentially could not operate in New Zealand. Over that 30-day period, you know, the FMA was going to work and consider the possibility of a permanent stop order, which would truly be significant. You know, Valis is a company that likes to talk about how how it has 400,000 members in 190 countries. I'm pretty confident that if New Zealand put a permanent stop order on this company, it would be the first in the world to do so. And it could really set a precedent because it has caught the attention of regulators in Australia as well. Also recently, the Commerce Commission confirmed to us that they were also investigating validus under the terms of the Fair Trading Act, likely to consider is this actually a Ponzi or a pyramid scheme. So look, really encouraging to see that, but God, a lot of work has been put into us just to get to this stage. At times it's quite confounding that it takes so long to get to a point to see action. And the regulators just will say in their defence, like they have their own due process, Process that they have to that they have to follow their measures. They they, they can't necessarily invest, investigate everything. They need people to come forward. So look, I understand that, but from the outside looking in, it's a pretty pretty confusing and frustrating situation. Well, what needs to be done with all these problems now? What improvements do you think need to be made in New Zealand? From my perspective, and this is from speaking to people on the ground who deal with this, is regulators wielding their sticks, sticks more often would be great. You know, maybe a centralised scam agency would be a real step in the positive direction, but it does just come down to financial literacy. So at the moment, sir, it's kind of seen as the centralised agency, but we kind of need something a little bit more. Their mandate is to coordinate better in the sector and they do have various working groups um, and things that are set up to look at various different aspects, because it's a pretty wide field. You've got everything from cyber crime to romance scams to bank scams to pyramid schemes, you know. And the regulators do draw a difference between fraud, when someone steals your money, and a scam, where someone encourages you to voluntarily put in your money. So, you know, you're talking two different things there really. There could be better coordination. They say they're on it and they're working on it, but yeah, personally I would like to see them go a bit further down the Australian track. CERT is an acronym for Computer Emergency Response Team and Rob Pope is its director. CERT was established in 2017. Uh, In fact, we've just almost celebrated our um, sixth birthday. It came about as a result of the government of the day recognising that there's a whole range of government agencies and non-government organisations who have some sort of part to play in the cyber response area and recognising that uh, there's so many different roles and aspects to combating cyber. Uh, CERT was established to try and make the system work better through coordinating uh, reporting, making sure that uh, there's events or incidents reported are sent to the right place. 
Yeah, I would imagine most scams are kind of online scams now these days anyway. Well, yes, and um, scams and frauds have been around since Adam. People of an uh, older age group would understand frauds around um, uh, checkbooks and pieces of paper. This day and age, uh, all driven by technology, things are still occurring in the same vein, i.e. Uh, people have been ripped off, uh, but it's happening faster and uh, more adaptably, if that's a word, but with uh, more significant harms. So what's the trend? I mean, uh, are people losing more money from scams? Are there more scams? As a uh, snapshot, since um, last January, we've had over 10,000 incidents reported to us. Almost a third of those are scams and frauds, and mainly breaking down to online uh, advertising, uh, sales of goods and trading, etc. That's where uh, a lot of the bleed comes from. Over that period of the last 12 months, we've had $20 million of uh, losses reported in, in terms of financial loss, and, and uh, that only scratches the surface. While the new figures show the number of scamming incidents are up just 3%, the amount of money Kiwis are losing is up 128%. That's a record high. New Zealand is a very trusting uh, society, and New Zealanders uh, are not necessarily taking all the appropriate steps to make sure that is this offer or is this quest to donate money genuine. If people have concerns about scams or they think they're getting scammed in New Zealand, who do they go to? Who do they report this to? Well, please, in the first instance, report to uh, CertNZ. Uh, we, we collate um, uh, these reports and then refer them through to the agency best suited to deal with it, whether it's uh, to DIA or to uh, Consumer Protection or uh, to NetSafe um, and the like. So we have all these different agencies like the Commerce Commission, the FMA, we have NetSafe, we have so many other different agencies that are supposed to look after this. Does that mean that things fall through the cracks if there's so many different moving parts? I think that's a valid comment um, if we, you look at it retrospectively. The reason for CERT's establishment was try to address that. Agencies and uh, NGOs do have different roles and aspects of uh, dealing with cyber. So our role is try and work through with each of the agencies um, uh, how best to actually coordinate. Uh, is it time to have a centralised agency now? That's something that possibly could occur, uh, you know, that's again beyond current discussion, essentially about six or seven agencies in the inner core, so to speak, that all have different remits. Uh, progress down that path would require a significant change of um, how these structures are organised. The uh, re-establishment costs would be significant. Many of the agencies have a regulatory and legislative powers. All of those sorts of things would have to be considered. So centralisation certainly makes good sense in one um, aspect. Achieving that uh, when you've got agencies that are, and organisations that have been in existence for some 20 or 30 years takes a little bit longer uh, to work through a, a thoughtful and structured approach that's going to benefit uh, better. Centralisation sounds good. Uh, it's not necessarily always the nirvana that people think it is. The current setting relies very much on uh, the goodwill and collaboration uh, of agencies. Things have improved in terms of that collaboration and um, uh, cooperation over the last five or six years and will continue to. Well, the Australians have recently set up a national anti-scam centre and also a financial crime exchange. If Australia are doing it, why not New Zealand? 
we continually look to overseas uh, agencies for uh, what we think are relevant and good for New Zealand as a whole. Every country does have a different sort of system or um, legislative uh, approach. Australia is very similar to New Zealand, except it's got a state and federal legislative apparatus. And um, and it's all it's also by scale. It's a little bit more complex about how a lot of their organisations and agencies are constructed. New Zealand generally tries to address cause as opposed to the response end where we can. So uh, scams and frauds are but an element of the bigger picture. New Zealand's size uh, dictates that it takes a different approach to uh, to Australia. All these bodies, I mean, they are kind of moving quite slowly while people are still getting scammed, though, aren't they? It's a, quite a slow process to actually sort something out for the people that are being scammed and stop these scammers. There is, but just balancing that, I should. Um, there are other dimensions, and a lot of these scams actually rely on behaviour of people. And um, there is a, um, a joint responsibility on people to uh, take appropriate steps to ensure that they're not being scammed. And can we be comfortable as a country that uh, all of the right advice is out there, that individuals and organisations are actually getting the message and are applying it? But Rob says there are a few gaps in our scam education. Even though technology's been around for a long time, we are a country that in some areas is quite slow to pick up uh, technology and understand it. For example, we don't have an end-to-end curricula in schools for technology awareness, uh, cyber management and the like. There are pockets of it, but this is all evolutionary. We have quite an ageing population where uh, technology can be scary, uh, so people use it sparingly or use it in a way because they are frightened about uh, certain aspects of technology yet an attractive sale item comes through on our email and I think oh that's great and all it needs is to click an email uh, or respond to a, a telephone call and um, the damage is done education and awareness raising is a, is a slow burn uh, but it, it's one which has been applied pretty uh, consistently across the board uh, we put an awful amount of, of our budget into education and awareness raising because that's the area that we see uh, as more beneficial than uh, having to uh, respond to uh, 15,000 extra reports a year. We know it works. This is hurting people in, who are already vulnerable, isn't it? It's a pretty hard thing. It is. It, it really is. And, yeah, that's the frustrating part, that they very carefully target their victims. Like some of the Chinese victims of the MFC club, some of them did have money to lose, but others did not. They really didn't. They put in their children's education fund. They put in their retirement fund. Some of the ladies that I spoke to, they knew of a solo mum who had put in her children's education fund, and um, she later died of a stress-related heart attack. So you've got to wonder what the, whether there was a connection there. You know, there are people that have been really hurt by this thing. Marie and I both mentioned that there have been warnings put out about MFC, respective warnings put out about MFC Club and Validus, but they're put up on quite, what I'd say, is quite an obscure part of the FMA website. And those alerts do not get sent out to media. You know, and often at times, like... Pacific news outlets in New Zealand, they have actually started sort of keeping an eye on that, you know, eye on certain schemes to try and raise awareness. But it just make, you know, as a journalist, you do want to, you know, and especially like public interest journalism, that is in the public interest to try and raise awareness just to like, you know, sound the alert and let people know that, you know, this thing is out there in the community. Be wary of it or, you know, do your own research, you know, just Google it and see what results come up. Often that can be pretty telling. 
That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Nicholas Poynton, Maria Slade and Rob Pope. Ma Tewa.